Good morning. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And in your bulletin, I have the, the notes for the sermon are there. And then um, some of you on the back have some images that will go with the sermon. If you don't have them there, the, uh, Sarah also put them in the notes um, at kind of the top right corner of one of the pages. So you're aware of that. Oscar Wilde is famous for saying, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. I am mediocrity. Pleased to meet you. God is greatness and the sincerest form of flattery or worship that I can pay to God and his greatness is imitation. When people copy you, that's an honor. Children are great at this. Sometimes they call each other copycats. Paul tells us to be like kids and copy God. Ephesians 5 verse 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And we'll take that verse 1 as our topic sentence for the text today as we discuss worship by imitation. Now, how do we do that? How do we worship God by imitation? Ephesians 5 tells us that we imitate God by living like God or by walking in seven specific ways. Walk in love, purity, light, wisdom, walk in the spirit, walk in submission, and walk in thanksgiving. Please stand for a responsive reading. I've included highlights from the text, since it's a very long text. Uh, we'll read the highlights now to kind of give you the big picture, and then I will dive in with more details. Who are the children of God supposed to emulate? How do we imitate God? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Does purity matter? Yes. Sexual immorality and all impurity are Is it okay for Christians to tell dirty jokes? Instead, how are we to walk? Does wisdom and sobriety matter? Instead of getting drunk, what should we do? You may be seated. This is the Christian walk. We imitate the character of our God. I read Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, and I'm so grateful that I'm chosen. I'm adopted, 
predestined, redeemed, forgiven. The dividing wall of hostility has been removed. I have been grafted in to the family of God, even though I am a Gentile. Thankfulness wells up in me, and I long to worship the God that has saved me. How do I do that? I do that by imitation. I worship God by imitation. I obey these commands not to try and save myself, but to honor and to live like the one who has already saved me. Number one, walk in love. Verse two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now notice that it keeps coming back to Jesus. In the midst of giving commands, chapter four through six, Paul gives us a lot of commands. But in the midst of those, he keeps reminding us about chapter one through three. He keeps reminding us of where the power comes from to keep these commands. It's not from my willpower, but the spirit of Christ in me. God, the son, Jesus Christ loved us. And I'm supposed to love like him. He loved me by sacrifice. He died on the cross in my place. So how do I love others? I am called to love others sacrificially. We give grace and honor to people who do not deserve it. We give grace and honor to people who deserve the opposite of grace and honor. We get ill-merited favor, so we give ill-merited favor. This is how we imitate our God and how we worship our God. As verse 2 says, this is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So first, walk in love. And number two, walk in purity. Specifically, sexual purity and verbal purity. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now, this is not saying don't talk about sex because Paul is talking about it right now. The Bible has a lot to say about sex. The text is saying that people shouldn't be able to say about us Christians They shouldn't be able to name us and say that we are engaging in inappropriate sexual behavior. Sex is good. And you should talk with your wife or your your husband about your sex life. It's not a joke. It's a joy. And the more clearly you communicate with your spouse about these things, the more of a joy it can become. When Carolyn and I have done premarital counseling with young couples, among other things, among many other things, we also talk about sex. They need to know what they're getting themselves into. The Greek word here for sexual immorality is the word the Bible often uses 
for premarital sex. So God is calling you to wait until marriage. Young people, wait. Older single people, wait. And older single people, you know, sometimes, especially if you're, you're thinking, oh, this is my second round, this is not my first rodeo, you think that you don't have to be as careful as you had to be when you were in your early 20s. Uh-uh. <laughs> you need to be very careful, very careful. And you need premarital counseling as well. You, you have a lot of years behind you, and so does this other person. You got to take your time and be wise. Sexual desire is very strong. And my advice to any of you who are dating, you may say I'm archaic, but that's okay. Don't kiss until you're married. No one brought tomatoes today. <laughs> Personally, I think kissing is foreplay. It gets you going. It takes you places that you should not be going unless you're married. And don't be alone in a room together. You're just playing with fire. C.S. Lewis, he said this, chastity is the most unpopular of the Christian virtues. There is no getting away from it. The Christian rule is either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. Now, this is so difficult and so contrary to our instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong or our sexual instinct as it now is has gone wrong. One or the other. Of course, being a Christian, I think it is the instinct which has gone wrong. But I have other reasons for thinking so. The biological purpose of sex is children, just as the biological purpose of eating is to repair the body. Now, if we eat whenever we feel inclined and just as much as we want, it is quite true, most of us will eat too much but not terrifically too much. One may eat enough for two, but he does not eat enough for 10. The appetite goes a little beyond its biological purpose, but not enormously. But if a healthy young man indulged his sexual appetite whenever he felt inclined, and if each act produced a baby then in 10 years, he might easily populate a small village, end quote. For many of us here at Redemption Hill, our greatest moral challenge in this life is dealing with our passions and keeping them under control. Paul says, no sexual immorality, no impurity, no covetousness. He doesn't say, I'd like you to cut back a little. He says, zero. Now, in the context, it seems that Paul is referring to sexual impurity and sexual covetousness. The number one rule in marketing is? But probably the number two rule in marketing is sex sells. It gets our attention. And so marketers use it all the time. It's on billboards and television. It's all over the internet. It's walking down the street and in the aisles of the grocery store. To avoid sexual temptation, 
even for 24 hours, is nearly impossible in our culture. Unless maybe you lock yourself away. According to research from the Barna Group, the statistics for Christian men between ages 18 and 30 are particularly disturbing. 77% say they look at pornography at least monthly. 36% view pornography on a daily basis. 32% admit to being addicted to pornography, and another 12% say they might be. The statistics for middle-aged Christian men ages 31 to 49 are no less disturbing. 77% say they have looked at pornography while at work in the past three months. 64% view pornography at least monthly. 18% admit to being addicted. And another 8% say they might be. Even married Christian men are falling prey to pornography and extramarital sexual affairs at alarming rates. 55% of married Christian men admit that they look at pornography at least monthly. 35% say they have had an extramarital affair. 35%. Joel Hesh, who sponsored the survey and is the founder of the biblically-based uh, Proven Men Ministry, called Proven Men Ministry, he says, these statistics knock the wind right out of you. They also confirm what we already know, that there definitely is a problem with pornography and affairs among Christian men. And that they are starving for the church to step forward with solutions. It's abundantly clear that pornography is one of the biggest unaddressed problems in the church. We have got to get serious about this problem. Jesus said in Matthew 18, pluck out the eye cut off the hand. It's better to go to heaven missing a body part than to end up in hell with all your body parts. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, if you're single and you're burning with passion, his solution in two words, get married. And also in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, if you're married, have sex often with your spouse. He says it's a protection for you and a protection for your spouse. I'm a big fan of internet filters like Covenant Eyes and Canopy. And I put the, them on the back of the bulletin there, or they're in the bulletin. Also, uh, I encourage you to read books on purity. I recommend Randy Alcorn's The Purity Principle. And Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free. Um, and I, I would encourage you, uh, especially men, I um, read a purity book once a year. And the, the two I mentioned, I, I say I think they're, they're worth going through multiple times. So Paul is saying don't engage in these behaviors because it's not proper for the saints. It's funny, in our culture, we love to make, thing, make fun of people who use the word proper. The Bible uses the word proper. There are things that are not proper. 
There are things that are shameful in this world. I remember I, I was in Hawaii a few years back, and I ran into a public school principal from California, and she said, we're, we're starting a new behavior management uh, program that's not shame-based. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> How's that working for you? We, we want to take the sting away from sin and the shame away from sin. But there are things in this life that are not proper, that are shameful. If you have been redeemed, if you have been forgiven and cleansed of all your sins, then the Bible says very clearly, live like it. Philippians 3, verse 16, let us live up to what we have already attained. Like Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. As Romans says, we are reckoned holy and good because of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Therefore, let your behavior show it. Or as Kelly Hubley covered a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 4, verse 1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So Paul uses the carrot, and now he turns to the stick. He says in verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not partner with them in their sin. Do not partner with them in their damnation. In essence, when you let your passions get the best of you, you are living like people that are going to hell. Paul says, people that live like that don't go to heaven. Now, I am sure you are feeling the tension between this passage and Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, I've seen this in the church, especially the last 10 years. As the church has gone more reformed, salvation is not by your willpower or your efforts, but by the grace of God, which is great, good theology. But, but also, I think we, we have left the holiness movement in the dust. Parents, be encouraged. Your kids are learning about holiness in the children's classrooms today as well. It's kind of an alignment there. But... So holiness does matter, but we still have to keep the gospel right. I'm not saved by my works, and I cannot become unsaved by looking at porn. 
And yet scripture seems to be saying that if I keep living like this, then the wrath of God will fall on me. I will not have an inheritance and I will be judged along with the other sons of disobedience. There is a tension in the Bible and you cannot get around it, a tension between the encouragements and the threats of scripture. John Piper likens them to two rails of a train track. And sometimes you need to hear the encouraging doctrine of eternal security. God has chosen you. He has adopted you into his family. He chose you before the foundation of the world, knowing every sin that you'd ever commit. So you have nothing to fear. Romans chapter 8, nothing and no one can separate us from the love of Christ, not even you. And sometimes you need to hear the threats of Scripture. You need to hear the threat of judgment. If you keep living like this, you'll end up in hell. You are partnering with the sons of disobedience. You are allying yourself with the children of wrath. If you truly have faith, James chapter 2, there better be some works to back that up. An alcoholic told a pastor friend of mine, I'm going to keep drinking. What's the worst that could happen to me? And this reformed pastor, he looked him square in the eyes and he responded, you could end up in hell. But I'm chosen. I'm God's elect. Ephesians chapter 1. Maybe because you're sure not living like it. Perhaps you will go so far that you will prove yourself to be a reprobate. Prove yourself not to be elect. I'm warning you. Sometimes I need the encouragements and sometimes I need the warnings. In my own life, I find that I often need both. And I, sometimes I pray like that. I was like, God, I am living like someone headed to hell right now. Please help me. Please rescue me. These are two rails of the same track. And God, in his love, uses them to keep me heading in the right direction. So imitate God by walking in purity. And that pertains to sexual purity, but it also pertains to your speech. Verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. Zero. Which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, that verse is a bit of a shocker to me. What is the alternative to sexual immorality and filthy language? It is thanksgiving. It's not the first thing that would have come to my mind. But it's true. When your heart is full of gratitude, full of thanksgiving and worship to the Lord, you're not giving in to these sins. Now, there's a word play here. Eutropelia, translated as crude joking, it means versatility with language or wittiness. And in this case, witter, witty, vulgar speech. And Eucharistia means thanksgiving. 
I think we use the word Eucharist sometimes to talk about the communion meal. So rather than being the clever, witty guy, why don't you be the humble, thankful guy? Now, people might not think your IQ is as high, but that's okay. William Hendrickson says it this way, clarion praise should be substituted for the clever phrase. And I have to admit that often my speech is more characterized by wittiness than by thanksgiving. Uh, My kids got me a t-shirt that says, dad joke loading. And I, maybe I need one that says, like, words of praise, loading. <laughs> Matt Chandler says that in some ways his wittiness is a curse, and it gets him into trouble. We have got to stop the sexual innuendo. It may pop into your mind, but don't let it come out your mouth. Joking about the wicked things that evil people do in secret, or that Back in the day, they used to do in secret, but now they do publicly. These are out of place. They are not appropriate for the chosen people of God for whose sins Christ died. Also, he talks about foolish talk. And some, t- some translations actually say levity. Now, there's nothing wrong with a good, clean joke. Have fun, laugh. It's good medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. In our house, we love dry bar comedy. But is everything a joke to you? Do you have a hard time being serious? As Christians, we need to have the appropriate response. Romans 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. In our culture, we put a very high value on levity. Don't be too serious. Lighten up. But I think in some ways we've gone too far. And in your levity, there's no room for compassion. You don't weep with those who weep. I think it was Jay Leno, maybe the other guy. He was talking about like he, how he kind of preps people he interviews. And he don't talk about anything too serious because he wants to keep it funny. But we're called to weep with those who weep. And sometimes when you see people hurting and serious, you walk away and you look for another group where people are laughing. And I encourage you to work on this. Start caring about spiritual conversations. Start caring about hurting people. Get serious about spiritual warfare, the salvation of lost souls and the kingdom of God. Rather than being perverted in your actions and perverted in your speech, rather than turning everything into a joke, instead, let your life be characterized by thanksgiving. So get your mind out of the gutter and number three, walk in the light. God is light and in him there is no darkness, 1 John 1, 5. So imitate God by walking in the light. Verse 8. For at one time, you were darkness. You remember the bad old days? But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Before you were darkness. It wasn't just something you did. It was your essence. 
You were corrupt in every cell of your being, in your thoughts and in your motivations. But now Ephesians 1 through 3 has happened to you and God has chosen you, redeemed you, cleansed you and saved you. Now you are light. Darkness cannot advance against the light. Its only hope of success is to cause the light to retreat. We live in a cancel culture. Pastor Tim has talked about it quite a bit. A dark culture that seeks to silence the voice of the saints to get them to stop shining the light. And I want to encourage you to do the opposite. Speak up. Let your little light shine. And what is this light like? Paul says, For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So do what is good and right. Read the truth. Believe the truth. Keep speaking the truth. Don't let them silence you. And you will be walking in the light. And you will be discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. You won't be walking in confusion like when you lived in darkness. But you will have clarity. And you will know how to live a life that is pleasing to God. It, it, it boggles my mind that the God of the universe could ever be pleased with me. Anything that I could say or do or think could bring a smile to his face, but I just can't get around it. That is what the Bible is saying. Our lives can be pleasing to the Lord. Don't only walk in the light, but advance against the darkness. This is a rally for the troops this morning. Paul says it this way, expose the darkness. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Okay, there's a tension here. Expose the unfruitful works of darkness, for it is shameful to talk about them. How do you expose them if you don't talk about them? I'm not quite sure. I'll take a stab. But notice that Paul says it's shameful, but he doesn't say don't talk about them. I think what he's saying, you got to be really careful. You got to use a lot of discretion. You got to make sure that you're part of the solution and not part of the gossip. Sometimes you have to expose shameful and embarrassing things. We got to call each other on the carpet. But first, we don't start joking about these things. We don't engage in coarse jesting. If this is a sin issue, don't joke about it. You know, sometimes we see sin in our kids and we think it's funny. It's not. God doesn't think it's funny. And you making light of it is not going to help your child overcome that sin in his or her life. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Scientifically, this is true. Anything that is visible is only visible because light is reflecting off of it. And any Christian who is shining the light is only reflecting the light of God. 
like the moon reflects the light of the sun. The Bible very clearly calls us to rebuke sin. Now, maybe you're a more confrontational person. You need to add some sweetness and gentleness. And maybe you're a non-confrontational person and you need to get going and do what you don't want to do. But we are called to confront lies with truth, to confront evil with good. And we are told to use the Bible to do so, to use the scriptures. 2 Timothy 2 verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. But we are so afraid of being called Bible bashers that we leave our Bibles at home. We keep them closed. We don't rebuke sin. And when we do, we say things like, well, it's probably not a good idea. When we should, with Bibles out, say, thus saith the Lord. I was recently told on Facebook, don't throw Bible verses at me. Why do they tell us that? Because they love the darkness and they hate the light. And when you, in love, throw Bible verses at people, the darkness goes running Big Daddy Weave, they sing the song, when the light comes, darkness runs away, and only what lives in the light can stay. When the light comes, nothing left to hide, so come out of the darkness and turn on the light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. And I want to say, uh, Jesus, are you sure you got that right? I thought you were the light of the world. I don't know if I'll do as good a job. Definitely not as good as you. But he turns to his followers and he says, and I say to you this morning, you are the light of the world. And without you, they do not have hope. So do not let them silence you. It's not for their good. Don't stop speaking the truth. Don't stop shining the light. Don't stop sharing your Bible verses. I would love to enlist an army of Christians who will invade Facebook and post Bible verses on every single post. You will not get us to turn off the light. We will advance. Because church, if we do not, the world will become enveloped in darkness. Verse 14, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up and start taking action, and trust that the Spirit of Christ will shine on you and strengthen you for the battle ahead. Walk in the light, and number four, walk in wisdom. You know, some people don't like the book of Proverbs. They say it's too practical it's not spiritual enough. Well, God does not share your opinion. And if you are going to worship God by imitation, then you must walk in wisdom. God included the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And here in Ephesians, he's like, I'm not letting this go, guys. Wisdom matters to me. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk 
not as unwise, but as wise. And wise people are very careful with limited resources, especially that limited resource that is quantified by the earth's rotation, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. If you want to be like God, you need to care about time. And you need to use your time wisely. No matter how much money you have in the bank, you will never get more than 24 hours in a day and seven days a week. Time is not for sale. The average American watches over four hours of TV a day. Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, It's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. So we have a limited amount of days on this planet. And one of the criteria by which you will be judged is this. What did you do with your time? Hopefully, you spend your time in rejoicing and thanksgiving. Hopefully, you don't waste it on sexual immorality, foolish talk, and coarse jesting. Hopefully, you are kingdom-minded and doing good works with your time. Verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So among other reasons, we, do, we need to do away with our pornography, our drugs, our alcohol addictions, because they are a waste of time. They bring destruction and not health. They are unwise. But instead, Paul says, number five, walk in the spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. The word debauchery deals with excessive indulgence, sensuality, shameful acts. It's derived from the French verb deboucher, meaning to tempt away from duty. Now, they say that if you're going to lose weight, you've got to get yourself a hobby. Take up something that will help distract you from the food. Instead of pounding the carbs, now I pound the pavement. I run three miles a day. Paul says, instead of getting drunk, you need an alternative. Get spiritual. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And what does that look like? Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You've got to learn some songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, we're right back to thanksgiving. Be thankful. And Paul, and Paul answers this question, when and why? When? Always. Why? For everything. You might ask, even the bad stuff? Yes. Because we believe that God uses it all for good. Romans 8, 28. Spirit-filled, grateful people do not practice lives that engage in immorality, coarse jesting, or drunkenness. Instead, their lives are bubbling over with thanksgiving. They walk around singing, 
even when no one is listening. They sing to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They sing to the Lord. They sing publicly. Life is a musical. And even when you're singing in the audience and you're not on stage, I don't know if you realize that you, yes, you are focusing on the Lord and worshiping the Lord, but you're also encouraging the body of Christ. It is so encouraging to see one another worshiping the Lord. We just went to a Wren Collective concert last Sunday, and my kids were just thrilled. They saw all these high school and college kids worshiping the Lord. It, it was like, wow, it's so neat seeing them like excited for God. Just forget about yourself. Concentrate on him and worship him. They address their brothers and sisters with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Oh, thank you. Their lives are characterized by thank thankfulness and thanksgiving. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. David Crowder has a song called Undignified, where he quotes from King David, I will dance, I will sing to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering this passion in my soul, and I'll become even more undignified than this. Some say it's foolishness, but I'll become even more undignified than this. Leave my pride by my side, and I'll become even more undignified than this. We are too proud. We care so much about what other people think about us, and we care so little about what they think of our God. I will dance, I will sing to be mad for my king. There's a humility that frees David to worship God with all his heart. And a humility that enables us, number six, to walk in submission. This joyful, humble exuberance and thanksgiving, it goes hand in hand with honoring others above ourselves. Address one another with, song, with songs, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission. We love that word, don't we? We submit to each other because of Jesus. We put up with a lot, don't we? We submit out of reverence for Christ. This is the spirit of God the Son, Luke twenty two forty two. In the garden, not my will, but thine be done. Put it above your door as you leave. Let that be the theme of your life. Not my will, but thine be done. Your will, God, not mine. And in these words, Jesus sets an example for us. In little and big ways, each and every day, we are called to go to the cross for each other. 
to lay down our preferences, to love by sacrifice, and to honor others above ourselves. What are we going to have for dinner? Thy will be done, not mine. Who gets the biggest brownie? Thy will be done. What are we doing tonight? Who is sitting where at the table? Who gets the biggest workload in the kitchen? What show are we going to watch? What game are we going to play? In all these things, we are called to put others' preferences above ourselves, to submit one to another. We are called to take up the basin and the towel and to serve others, to put others first. In verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And it's interesting, the word submit is actually not even found in verse 22. It's implied. It's carried over from verse 21. In Greek, verse 22 is actually the end of the sentence that began in verse 18. This is more of Paul's really long sentences. Verses 21 and 22 say literally, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So he's saying, Christians, let's all submit one to another. And then let me tell you how to do that. Wives, here's how you do it. Verse 21 is a pivotal verse. It's basically the topic sentence of the next three sections of Ephesians. In verse 21, Paul begins this section about submission in the household. Paul talks in general in verse 21 about how all Christians submit one to another, and then he gets specific as to what that looks like in the household. What does submission look like for wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters? And the order is prioritized in importance. The most important relationship in the family is the marriage. Everything is built on that. Bad marriage equals dysfunctional family. <clears throat> so parents, if you think that you can avoid, you know, you, you just, you're just going to focus on the kids because, you know, I don't even know what to do with my marriage. You're not helping the kids. If you want to help the kids, you have to help your marriage. You got to start there. That is the foundational relationship in the family. Next, we have the parent-child relationship. And finally, the master-slave or employer-employee relationship. And in each instance, Paul speaks to the one under authority first, which is interesting. It's pretty much the opposite of what most pastors do in America when they talk about these things. They talk about, you know, husbands love, 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 love. And why is submit? Okay, please. <laughs> Paul just charges right into the fray. <laughs> and so he begins with those under authority first. Wives first, children first, slaves first. And he tells them to submit to the authority over them, to husbands, fathers, masters. But those in authority are not off the hook. Husbands have to sacrificially love their wives. Fathers are told not to exasperate their children. Masters are told not to be harsh, but to be kind to those in their charge. <clears throat> and number seven, walk in thankfulness. You see this in verse four and verse 20, basically covered it already. Verse 4, we see that the alternative to immorality is thankfulness. Verse 20, we see when walking in the Spirit, your life will be characterized by thankfulness. 
So to sum up, here in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us to worship God by imitation. We're told to walk in love, purity, light, wisdom, to walk in the spirit, and to walk in submission. And throughout these commands, Paul keeps coming back to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is like the alignment of your tires. Things in your life are going to work a whole lot better. All of this is going to come together for you if you focus on thanksgiving. So if that, you want somewhere to start, that's probably a good place. Paul keeps coming back to thanksgiving. God's redeemed people are a rejoicing people. Their lives are abounding in thanksgiving. Why don't you stand and let's, let's search our hearts as to what God is doing in our lives right now through his word. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are worthy of imitation. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be copycats. Help us to pattern our lives after the revelation of God that we see in Christ. I'll just take a moment and just ask the Lord what is one thing he wants you to take home today and where he, what he's, talk about to him what he's doing in your heart right now. Lord, help us to love sacrificially like Jesus. Help us to turn away from lust and covetousness and idolatry. Give us victory over pornography. Help us to cut off the hand and pluck out the eye. Set us free from drug and alcohol addiction. Lord, you have made us light. Empower us to walk in the light and in wisdom. Fill us with the spirit of Christ that we might submit one to another, that we might encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Instead of darkness and wittiness, Lord, may our lives be characterized by humble thanksgiving. And in Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen. Amen.